to episode 27 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. How's it going, Justin? It's going good. How are you? Good, good. So, all right, so you're about to take off for another week of uh, Christmas stuff, or people visiting, or what? Well, my sister's coming over tomorrow, and um, she's coming over from the UK. Okay. Because, of course, I even though I sound like I'm from England, I actually live in Los Angeles. And right. um, we're going to hang out. We're going to go to Vegas over the weekend. All right. So I guess we got to get all our nerd talk in now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a, a Christmas nerd extravaganza. Okay. Well, I think we should always start with the usual, which is the Tweet Miner update. Tweet you, know, mi- you, know why, you know why we have to start with that? It's because I'm, I'm so curious. I always, I always want to know. You want to get it out the way, huh? I do. I'm like addicted to it. It's like it's like it's like I say the best thing I can equate equate it to is like uh, the Biggest Loser. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like a totally stupid show where you have a bunch of overweight people who work out and you just want to see how much weight they lost. Like, why do I even care? But you start getting into their story and you can't wait to see how much weight they lost you know and uh it's just the same thing it's like i can't wait to find out okay so what's what's the update what's the progress well um i think uh we are now on day of this month we're on day 16 okay um and last month we had 45 transactions in the entire month okay this month we've had 30 transactions by day 16 Wow. So 30 transactions. So it's over, I think we're over halfway. But in terms of revenue, last month closed out at 1,100. And this month so far has 650. So I think we're going to beat the revenue, but it's not going to be huge, a huge amount. I think what happened last month was a lot of people chose the, the year upfront options. Right. And this month, uh, more people are choosing the pay monthly options, which is kind of good. Because um, ultimately, that means for more ongoing revenue on a monthly basis. Right. Well, also, the the last month was the first, that was the first month, right, of people paying? Is right. that right? Yeah. And so you had a lot of people who were beta users who became, who, who decided to convert, right? I see. Yeah. So you sort of have this pent up user base that was like, okay, either, either jump on or not. Do you think, is that true? I think so. I think, I mean, although I did give all of the beta users um, a basic account free for a year. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe not. I don't know. That's interesting. Well, it's cool. What about the um, progress on uh, on the on the product? I, I think you said this weekend you were spent a lot of time working on it, right? Yeah, I put um, a, well integrated uh, Twitter lists. Um, so basically, now people can use that. Um, but I sort of sell it as gr- as more of a groups concept within Tweetminer, so okay. people can group users by category. Uh, but it's using the Twitter lists API functionality. Right. Um, and that was a big – there's a lot of people asking for that, right? Yeah, a lot of people were asking for that, yeah. And then since TweetMiner started to get a bit more complicated now, I put together a help library of videos. Okay. So that and, – and then also that the help library of videos, I've then put that on the sales pages, the demo page. So you can kind of go there and get, get into TweetMiner in a lot more uh, depth by going to that page and you can sort of instantly just go to tweetminer.net forward slash demo and start clicking into the videos. They're usually about a minute long each, but they explain a core concept. I think it's good that they're a, a minute long. I know sometimes I've seen these videos that people have these intro to their products and they're just like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's you know, boring as hell. Blah, you know. Um, that's probably really good. Just a lot of quick one minute 
um, videos. So, but that actually kind of is good because in one sense it helps, it helps um, from the customer support perspective. So it reduces your customer support load if people are, can, can learn from the videos as opposed to asking you questions. Absolutely. And B, it probably works as sort of a customer development angle too so people can understand pretty quickly the depth of the product as opposed to having to read through a bunch of stuff which yeah. you might be willing to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it certainly was part of the the whole remember the week the week before um the support issue that i had of of not answering get satisfaction for 10 days and Oof. i just sort of thought and it's t- like typical questions you know people kind of keep asking the same questions so i thought the best thing to do was to put them there in videos make it really obvious and easy and uh, right so the frequently asked questions the fact but in video format yeah basically people like videos because it really shows them exactly what to do Absolutely. I think so. I've watched a few videos for things like that. And uh, yeah, I like it, especially if it's just like, here's how you do X, right? There's like one thing you want to do that's like a multi-step process. And it's just easier to do that than reading through a list of steps. Yeah. Um, so what about the, uh, the, the, you know, the groups thing you created? I mean, do, were people excited about that when you released it? Do you have much response? Uh, I mean, yeah, people said they really liked it. I mean, it I guess this kind of software, people don't kind of, they get excited about the thing as a whole, but if you release a, a specific feature, they're just sort of like, yeah, about time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way it works in life anyway, too. You know, it's like, you know, when you're either rebuilding software, or, yeah, probably the creation of anything, it's before you've created, you're like, man, you know, you know, I can't wait till it does X, right? Yeah. I can't wait till it does Y. So let's say you're going A to Z. I can't wait till where it's C. Oh, that's going to be so great. But as soon as you get to level C, to C, to step C or step D, the people are already looking on to M or N. They don't even care anymore about C or D. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. so what? And like today, I, I you know, one of my uh, uh, client contracts, um, it, this is actually takes about half my day. And you know, and I, it's actually I'm actually working. The spon- the project sponsor is a friend of mine, and we're working on this. And I'm like, dude, look what we are. This is awesome, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. Like I had to point out, like, look look at what's working already, you know? Yeah. And because it's exciting, you see it. It's like we take a step back because he kept talking about, like, oh, well, as soon as we get to here and here, and I'm like, well, just think of where we are now, even after you know a few months on this. And I think it's important to take those little wins and just take a step back and appreciate them and get excited about what you've already accomplished. Well, talking about being excited about a product, I'm extremely excited about a product that I've recently found. Yeah. Um, a product Ooh, called. Is it, is that, it sounds like a, we have a sponsor. It's it, a sponsor. it's nothing to do. No, no. Well, they they don't. They're completely free. They don't charge. It's so. not like Leo Laporte or something. And <laughs> this weekend tech. <laughs> well, no, they don't charge. They're completely free, so they can't be a sponsor. Oh, uh, okay. But I'm they are. They the make build, the an amazing like product. It, the build-up sounded like you were, you were about to start talking about go to my PC or, or <laughs> GoDaddy. <laughs> yeah, right. No, well, basically, it's this tool called Pivotal Tracker, and Peldy very briefly mentioned it. Uh, I I believe in in Texting Four, but beyond that, I have I hadn't heard about it. And then a um a client I'm working for, we were using Fogbugs as our way of um, issue management and and project tracking. Right. And uh, Fogbugs is pretty expensive, and it's pretty unwieldy i mean it's a big beast right and the way that i've always loved to work is is in an agile way with agile cards and that type of thing and i i've seen a few um websites that try and crack that problem um i'm not gonna gonna go into those now but anyway 
he sent me a link to Pivotal Tracker and I went in and had a look at it and it just completely cracks that. It's such a lightweight, easy way of managing projects using uh, the basic Agile methodology, uh, which is essentially, I mean, Agile, a very sort of brief overview is it's this idea of using index cards and you write down what you want on your index cards and then once a week you have a planning meeting and um, you shuffle through the index cards on the table and, you, and each one of those is called a story and you sort of move a bunch of those story cards into the into the backlog stack and a bunch into the, okay, this is what we're going to work on this week's stack. And it's just, that's it. That's your process for deciding what you're going to do. Right. And this, this is a piece of software that is free and it does that incredibly well. But also it's just got some other cool, very cool features. Like, for example, we imported 400 uh because we've we've really been planning out this project, right? So we had 400 stories already written out in an Excel spreadsheet, and this mm-hmm. thing just zipped through them, imported them all, made them look great in little story card format, and uh, it's just great, you know. And the reason why it's free is because they're a very successful web development agency, web development consultancy. I mean, okay. very very successful, and they just use this tool to manage their projects in house, but they make it available to the public as well. Just surprised they don't do a freemium thing. I mean, it almost sounds like 37 Signals Basecamp, right? They used it. They there they were a consultancy that used Basecamp initially to manage their own internal projects, and then they became a product company around Basecamp, and then some other. They may do that at some stage in the future, but they're they're such a successful consultancy. I mean, the kind of clients that they have are very very high level, and they do pretty huge projects. I've got a feeling that it's not that you know this really isn't their revenue driver. It's not what they're thinking about. That's the impression I get. But it's a bloody great tool. It really is right. good. I mean, I'd recommend it for anyone. I'm going to use it for my own projects as well. And I'd certainly right. recommend for you and Guyon to use it. And what's great is that um, it's real time. So yeah, you know, you know what I use is a Notepad. <laughs> it, it's basically one. It's sort of one step up from that, but organized and real time. Right. And you can sh- and to you know, a group of people can use it. It's a web app or is it an application? It's a web app. It's just a web app. It's really simple, really fast Ajax stuff. Hmm. And when you you update what you're doing on your browser, that will go straight to Guyane's browser and he gets to see what you've just written. Well, he's he. The way we work is we're logged into. He just logs into my desktop. We pair program the whole time. We don't ever work separately. Okay. So it doesn't really matter for us. But you know, a couple of the projects I work on. They use two. Ah, I'm trying to think. Two or two or three of them all use Unfuddle. Have you heard of Unfuddle? I haven't. No. It's kind of like a base camp, but they have like it integrates with like Subversion or Git. You know, I haven't really used it as much. I know that they're posting things up there, like tasks and stuff. Um, I don't know. I I don't find it that straightforward. I'll tell but, you. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that's very very useful about using something like this. I mean, that's specifically part of Agile is that every time you create a story, you assign a number of points to it. So you sort of assign, you know, this is very, very short task. You give it zero points. This is like a couple of hours. You give it one point, maybe half a day, two points. And then anything over, you give it three points. So those those points are not specifically hours, but they just map to like very small through to large tasks. And right. every time one of these um, stories gets completed within Pivotal Tracker, what it does is it sort of logs that you've completed that many points and everything's split up into it. All this happens automatically. Everything's split up into weekly iterations, if that's the length of iteration you specify. So right. once you've been going a couple of weeks, you can see that you do maybe 10 points worth of work a week. 
Right. So it's really good for planning in the future. You can you can sort of look at your overall project and have a look at everything that's not on the current stack, everything that's in the backlog. Right. And you can say, right, I think this whole project is going to be finished in about three months. Because you just go through each of those story cards saying it's you know zero through to three points. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I read some interesting uh, an, an interesting article about doing that. It was prioritizing tasks, and it was sort of use. I think I'd mentioned this before about you would prioritize things based on a combination, sort of a, a, a multiplying the uh, the amount of people who suffer from that problem or lack of that feature yeah. and, this, and the amount they suffer. Yeah. <laughs> and that would sort of sort them out. Um, and you do other things like that. But yeah, you, you just kind of, they would keep everything in one single queue. Yeah. And it would just uh, do it like that. But I think it's important to keep it, keep stuff simple. When they get stuff complicated, when you make a complex interface that has too much to it, you spend too much time in the meta work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I read a, um, an interesting article and it was called the title was make lists not too much mostly do <laughs> and uh i think that guy what was he got it for, he got that off of food like uh eat real food not too much mostly vegetables or something like that like that right. was what it was based of and you know and um Essentially, yeah, like you, you need to make some kind of list just to keep track of things because if you don't make lists, then your brain is constantly processing, you know, in the background, like, oh, what did I forget? What was the thing I had to do? And, you know, yeah. of course, you always run the risk of forgetting stuff, which can happen if you have a lot of stuff to do, which definitely happens when you're writing code or doing startups or whatever. You always have so much stuff going on. Um, but the thing is, you don't want to get over um, obsessed with it. You get so obsessed with these lists and these processes, these like getting things done um, processes that you just you're not doing the actual work. You're just meta work. You're you're organizing all the time. Yeah. But the most of them is just get stuff done. <laughs> Knock well, stuff yeah, out. no, exactly. I mean, that's what's great about very, very light project management tool. I mean, in the in the agile manifesto, I'm not quoting verbatim, but basically they say something along the lines of it's not that we don't want process it's just that we want process to be real easy. Yeah. Yeah. You want a lightweight process. As soon as this process starts to become a thing in of itself, then you've, you've got a problem. It's almost like, you know, it kind of reminds me of, it's like when you spend a lot of time talking about your relationship, there's probably a problem with a relationship, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's talk about our relationship. Like, Oh, like, you know, you're going to your girlfriend, like when you're younger and like in high school or college. And she's like, we need to talk about a relationship. You know, that's a sure sign they got a problem, <laughs> right? If the relationship's really good, you don't have to spend much time talking about the relationship. You know, it just kind of works. And uh, I think that can be said about the process. You spend a lot of time talking about the process. If the process is this big issue of itself, it's that's not good. That's well, not of good course, this is, this is the whole thing that you can't talk about because you've never had a job. You've never actually worked in a company. <laughs> so basically well, you don't you don't even know what it's like to be in a company and, and go through all this really heavy process that sometimes is required within these huge organizations. That is true. I've I've never I had a job for n nine months after graduating college and after that it was all startups. Um I mean I'd have to say if you were working in a in a very large organization and there was no process whatsoever. It would be like Chaos. outrageous, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm more thinking in terms of small 
you know, handful of people or different things, keep things lightweight. I, in terms of how things scale with ton of people, it, it all changes. You know, it's, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of like these laws. I was kind of thinking about this the other day. There's, I, you know, there's always these, there's these laws named after it, like Pareto's law or the 80, 20 principle or this yeah. or that. And one of them is like this, like you can only like a team greater than seven people has to have like a manager. It's like seven's a threshold where you can have no manager. Hmm. Right. That's nobody that has to be kind of coordinating things. Which it's it's like seven is kind of that sweet spot. Anything above seven, maybe eight, then it, you're, you you kind of get into communication problems and you have to people facilitating it. And so there's all these sort of rules, but it call it also reminds me of like the number seven, whereas like phone numbers are seven digits long. <laughs> and that's so part of that has to do with like there's only so many numbers that a human that humans are good at remembering. And I don't know if it's exactly seven or something like that. Obviously, you have to have enough numbers, uh, enough numbers that can represent a big enough. I think the theory is because of the um, the days in the week. It's just easy for us seven. It's the same as with UI. I mean, you're not supposed to have more than seven options on the UI. In any yeah, menu. well, I, I don't. I, I think it's yeah. I think I think that has some relationship to our brains. If you how many how many numbers that people can keep in our head at one time? If, for instance, so if you wanted to remember more than seven, you group them into sets of seven or smaller than that. So you, you know, saying like that if you, want, if, if the, you want to remember like a huge number of digits of something like pi, for instance, you just try and do groups and subgroups. And so you're stuff. saying that the day the reason why the seven days in the week is because that comes from human brains versus we like seven because of the number of days in the week. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the reverse. Now I don't, I don't know anything about why we have seven days a week. There could be other things, you know, other reasons why they have to do with calendars and things. But, um, I'm pretty sure that I, I, I bet there's a relationship between the communication problems between seven people and the amount of people that, the amount of information we keep in our head. I bet you there's some relationship there. Hmm. There's another relationship too. It's like you can only know, they talk about like how many people can you actually know, have relationships with. And it's something like a hundred, <laughs> like when a company gets above, like much above a hundred people, then you have all, then in the, the, the sort of the environment changes completely because people can't know each other nearly as well. Yeah. So you have kinds of problems creep in. So there's all these, there's all these kind of rules or laws that come in and it all has to do with, some of it has to do with the wiring in our brain some of it probably has to do with just um, dynamics of numbers or something, but it's just interesting when you look at when you think about things like that. Like if you wrote down all those laws and tried to understand. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, what did you think of the discussion on Hacker News about uh, in De Niro and um, you know because last time when we when we posted to Hacker News, obviously it got quite high up on Hacker News and a few people listened to and saw the um, the podcast. But then there was comments on Hacker News about Indonero basically ripping off other sites. What were your thoughts about that Hacker News thread? Well, it sounded like the CEO was the one who took exception. He thought that Indonero looked too much like Shopify, right? Or or some other things like that. Now, so what is I this? Did, it's the CEO of Shopify who took exception. I think that's who it was. I right. didn't look that close. Like I, I, you know, I almost was going to comment on it, but I, in order for me to comment intelligently, I was going to have to spend a little time and analyze the sites, and I didn't have the time, so I figured I'd just <laughs> not say anything. You know, if you're not going to do your homework, don't don't throw your two cents in. So yeah. I didn't have time to do the homework, so I didn't. And someone else gl- uh, threw something up there and said, oh, well, they're, some of their their uh, languages are similar to what's on the site. But then a couple other people commented, and they're like, what? They like looked at it, and they're like, no, it's not. And by the way, all this stuff looks like other stuff anyway, so you know, don't get your panties in a wad. You know? I, I thought 
here's what I thought. I think, you know, if they were in the same space, if they were like cloning Shopify, if they were a competitor and their stuff looked similar, then it'd be worth taking exception. Okay. If someone's trying to clone your product, I can see how you can get pissy about it. Right. right. But if there's something in a completely different space, it has nothing to do with your product and it's this little tiny startup, <laughs> you know, give me a break. That's what I thought. I mean, give me a break to get upset about that. You're like, oh, shameful. It's shameful. It's like, dude, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about, you they know. They did the, say shameful. Yeah, I thought that was just ridiculous. I'm like, dude, you need to just relax. The 19, there's this 19-year-old girl who's done this pretty impressive job of creating this um, startup. And, you know, maybe she borrowed a little too much, but... All of these apps look like other apps. Everybody's been okay. borrowing from everybody else. Okay, let me let me put this into perspective. These these people are people who worship Apple, right? And mm-hmm. if you look at how Apple started and the beginning of Apple, well, that was a tour around the Xerox Park, and Steve Jobs saw an interface and basically utterly copied it and mm-hmm. turned it into a <laughs> what Apple is today. Yeah, exactly. It was. They they copied that was the mouse and the graphics interface. It was like the small talk windowing and I yeah. And no one yeah, no but, one's writing blog posts about how shameful that was. But yeah, yeah you that know, is that is way more shameful. There's <laughs> I mean, tons. That's really, <laughs> that's really taking innovation and um you know, capitalizing on it. Yeah. I, I just I just think that most of this stuff, there's very few people who take big jumps in, in uh, innovation or creativity. Almost everything else, if people spend some time, could track it down and say everything's just a very small iteration beyond something else. Occasionally have somebody who takes a, big, a bigger step, but everything is kind of derivative. I don't care if it's music or movies or books or stories or TV shows or software or websites. Standing it's on all- the shoulders of giants. Everybody is. They're standing on the shoulders of other midgets who are standing on the shoulders of other midgets who are standing on the shoulders of other midgets. You know, it's a bunch of midgets standing on. And so to get all get all you know bent out of shape about it, I just think it's a little. Uh, I don't know. It's a little. But there are there are some negative aspects. It it um it doesn't differentiate your product just from a branding point of view. Like if you don't if you don't take the time and care to differentiate your product, what's going to happen is as the people are shopping around and they're looking for something and you're in you're in a certain kind of space if they don't see clear differentiation between you and mint for example then it's only going to solidify mint's market leading position and it's just going to make you not so yeah, interesting but, yeah that's true like but if you're in the same space but let's say that you know you're you're a completely different space you're not competing with them you're not even remotely in their space and you and your your menus and some of your toolbar stuff looks kind of similar has some similar gradients and the buttons look similar i mean who cares you know, what is it? What difference does it make? Well, your color scheme's the same as ours. You use the same fonts. I'm like, okay, whatever. I, I just thought it was stupid, you know. Now, if they were literally cutting and pasting language from another site, that's, you know, obviously plagiarism. You can't do that. I don't, I don't know if, that ha- if that's the case at all because um, no, one, no one ever claimed that. They just said the language was similar. And if a product tour is similar to the product tour in another site, I mean, it's just like, hey, I like, we like the way you did your product tour. You know, we're not competing with you. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. But like I said, I didn't do the research. I didn't, I'd never, I didn't examine how close they were. So um, I wasn't going to spout off on um, 
uh, on Hacker News about it. And, and, and uh, so I guess I shouldn't make any strong statements uh, in this podcast because I still haven't done the homework to really back <laughs> it up. Well, so I'll I just think, say I think that, they are. Know. I mean, I think they are pretty similar. Um, they do look pretty similar. So I think on some level, it's there, there's some validity. But my my thought is just how much, you know, how kind of aggressive people get about something like that. I mean, it's probably, well, in De Niro, as we know, is iteration, you know, 0.1 or whatever. It's, it's certainly not iteration two or anything like that. I would imagine that they're, that they're going to change and that they're going to move forward. And it's almost like a placeholder. It's almost like a placeholder that you need when you first launch. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. so many things to think about, you know, is thinking about the, the specific design the, the, the way that you do your tabs, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the place to put your time and effort? You probably want to put your time and effort. I mean, to be honest, it's probably a pain in the butt to do that stuff. You know, you really want to be focusing on pulling in data from the banks and doing a good job and making the functionality work. Yeah, so I, I mean, you're probably just, thinking like, hey, like, hey, so we need a product tour. Let's see, how do people do product tours? Hey, I like the way Shopify does it. They, 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 that's a pretty good idea. We should do something similar to that. Yeah. You know, and... Um, it is, but, you know, but I will say it's it's very similar. Like, Yeah, okay. So, you know, you, you, you do need to probably spend a little time not making it a clone, right. you know, um, but... Um, I don't know if it's probably not, it's probably, I don't think it's something that's worth getting too bent out of shape about, right. uh, a, and because like I said, it's not a competitor and B for, I, it's also probably, you probably should not, you should probably do your best not to do that. You should, right. you know, if there are some things that you like about some sites, go look at a bunch of them and then don't immediately start designing because you're, you're you know, it's like if you read a book. If you start writing creative story, or uh, you know, writing a story after reading a book, you start sounding like the author of the last book you read. <laughs> you know? okay. It's like you too easily. You're so easily influenced. You don't want to I mean, look at it and then go, "Oh, we'll do it like that." Okay, so one thing that it made me think was Hacker News has an ugly side because, you know, uh, Jessica within the Hacker News thread said, "Yep, we made a mistake and we acknowledge it." Yep. So all around, all around there, all the you know, all the guys who are saying, "Oh, how horrible! Oh, shameful!" They've all been voted way up, you know. They've all got their high points, but actually admitting and saying we made a mistake, we acknowledge it. It sort of doesn't get voted up. It doesn't get any points. It doesn't get anything. Well, it's that's like, the problem. That's kind of the problem with mobs. That's how mobs <laughs> behave. You know, that's how mob mob mentality. Everybody piles on, and it's very easy to just jump on and and get real negative. And and um, that's kind of how people behave. And even if, yeah. I'll say that. That's how mobs behave. And that's kind of the first thing I noticed, like, well, everybody's piling on. And and um, and you might say, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because in one hand, you're thinking, okay, um, Jessica is an entrepreneur. We're going to look at her as a peer. She's doing uh, a startup. Um, and so then we're going to, we're not going to patronize her. We're going to, we're going to critique her as a peer, right? And right. there's things too close. Therefore, we're going to say, hey, look, you're too close to us. Change it. That's not, that's not good. In another sense, this is 19. You know, she's 19. You know, so like have a little more, um, a little more, uh, give her a little more slack. That's what I'd say. Uh, okay, well, let me, let, okay, well, let me br- turn it back around on you. Is uh, Mark Zuckerberg completely exonerated from copying that other website that he copied to make Facebook? I don't know the story behind that. What is that story? Um, I don't know the name of the the website, but I'm sure it's just a Google away. Basically, Mark Zuckerberg 
uh, was working for a bunch of other guys, working with a bunch of other guys, another team that were basically creating Facebook. That was their their idea and their concept. And mm-hmm. he worked with them for X number of months and then decided that he was just going to pull it. Well, in, for some reason, they, they parted ways and then he went and created Facebook. Yeah, well, I mean, that's 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 different, right? I mean, you're completing it. You're, you are basically stealing the idea to create an exact competitor and you actually worked for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's completely different. You know, if you do that when you're, yeah, you know, I think when if somebody does something and they're young, you give them a little more slack than if they're old. It doesn't mean you completely let them off the hook. They can do whatever they want. Well, Mark Zuckerberg know? was pretty young when he did it. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. I mean, you know, if, you know, if he's, uh, you know, 18 or 19 and he does that and, you know, you probably cut him a little more slack than if he was 40. <laughs> but if you're ripping something off, you're straight away stealing it. No, that's not. I mean, you're stealing an idea. You're going to compete with them. You, you actually even worked for them and you're taking the but idea. Then, but, but, but then it's about execution because look, at the end of the day, he executed it correctly and the other guys didn't. I mean, they don't, they well, didn't execute That doesn't it. have anything to do with stealing the idea. Just cause, so if I steal an idea, if I'm working for you for months and then I say, hey, you know, I could do a better job. Say, I'm going to take their idea and then I'm going to go implement it better than them. Just because I can do a better job of once I've stolen your initial idea doesn't make it acceptable okay, okay. Look, i mean but, but look, no, I'm, I'm working for you and you create a company and it doesn't go anywhere there's no way it's going to go anywhere it's just a good idea right but well, it's, how do you it's, know it's a team of idiots who are running it well and I just think, because well, you interpret second, that this doesn't is a good mean idea. that's true i move away and i and i execute on it correctly like what have i done wrong i don't understand well, that's that's, uh, that's i mean that's the <laughs> essence of the theft of, of intellectual property i think you know okay here's the thing right you can't patent a business idea and patenting software and things like that are questionable um so but i think if you're going to go especially when you talk about like a uh, like something like a website or piece of software and you work for them and then you you just go and basically start your own um i don't know i mean yeah is it is it is it's probably not illegal but just I'm just, you, I'm just being devil's advocate. You know look. why? Because so many times when I say, well, I don't want to tell people my idea, um, pros in the space say, well, that's ridiculous. You should, you, you don't worry about telling your people your idea because it's all about execution anyway. So mm-hmm. this is the reverse argument the, about the execution. Okay, fine. I'll rip off an idea and I'll execute it better <laughs> and make a huge success out of it. Well, you're, 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 I think you're conflating two on um, two different axes, which is one is like what is sort of legal slash ethical slash uh, acceptable, right? And what is um, um, something worth worrying about from a competitive standpoint? Is it worth worrying about um, being open or uh, with your ideas that someone's going to steal them? That's one. That's one whole argument. Another thing is like, hey, is it okay to take someone's idea and clone it? I mean. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a two separate discussions. I mean, there's a relationship, but I don't think it's quite this, the same discussion. But okay. yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think you're demonstrating with TweetMiner, at least up to this level, that's probably helping you to be open. I think you get more attention in, in, uh, from the transparency. Okay. Think? So why don't you tell everyone on the on the show what your secret idea is? Well, I will once it's uh, once I'm ready to once it's ready for some uh, beta. I mean, okay. I, I want to. How's that coming have, along, by the way, Jason? Secret project. Yeah, like I, I think it's coming along well. You know, it's so my my promise was to release it by the end of the year, right? 
which I will. And will I be embarrassed by it? Yeah, to some degree I'll be wincing because I know there's a lot of stuff that it should do that it won't be able to do or it won't be able to do as well. Um, which I know I'll be able to knock out within weeks or, you know, months. So it's almost like, God, if I could just have like another couple of months, it could do all these things, but it's so easy to fall in that trap that just to keep from falling into the trap of, of a perpetual stealth mode, it's probably best, better just to release it. And, you know, people will go, Oh, you know, whatever. I already oh. think it does too much, but we've had that discussion. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think that, you know, it's kind of interesting. I told, I, I told my, uh, my older brother about it. I, I have, a younger brother and I have two older half brothers and two half sisters. All right. And one of my older half brothers is, is in this space. He's, see, he's been the CTO of a number of startups and he's a, you know, he's about 10 years older than me. He's a, he's a really bright guy and there's a lot of deep background in, in, in tech. And, and, you know, so I, you know, I respect his opinion and his reaction was like, it was kind of mixed. Like one was like, he was intrigued by it. He was, in, he was, he was interested in the other sense was like, wow, that's really big. You know, that's a really big problem. I don't, yeah. you know, sure that it's doable. Like, is there, is there a way to, 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 to do it? And, um, so he's like, so his basic attitude is like, I'll, I'm, you know, I'll be interested to see, you know, let's see how it does. And, um, you know, I've had that reaction. I think you had a similar reaction. I think some people have a similar reaction and, and I think it's just a matter of, a couple things, right? It is it's a big problem, but I wanted something that I was interested in working on. I can't just work on something that's simple and, and bores me. And you know, and so it had to be something that was was deep enough technically that I wasn't gonna lose interest in six months. Like, oh God, this is why am I spending my life working on this stupid little thing? I don't even care about it. Right. Yeah. Because if I if I do lose interest in it, then there's no point. I won't be able to stick I have to have it has to be interesting enough for me to stay with it for years. So it has to have be deep enough technically. Um, what were you going to say? No, I was just thinking, I wonder if that is part of the mark of, I wonder if, if you spoke to a whole bunch of pretty successful entrepreneurs, whether they were able to get past that of needing to find something interesting. Maybe they just had the tenacity to just stick at it, whether they found it interesting or not. Yeah, I you know I I know my personality and I know that if I don't if it's not something that I think yeah, is uh, is going to be enough of a challenge for me in the yeah. end it's not just like hey you know I can write this up and then it's just I'll spend most of my time just promoting it and doing customer support I mean I'm going to get bored you yeah. know at the end of the day I like to solve hard problems and sometimes you solve hard problems you you fall on your face you know part of the time and but you keep getting up and it's something that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting challenge that you spend, you know, a ton of time, even when you're not coding, thinking about it, like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And that's, that's a mark of something that I, gets me excited and wants me to stay with it. So that's, that's why I'm doing it. Right. Now, the other thing I'll say is that is finding, if you can find something that's deep, a deep enough problem that it's interesting and you work on it for years and but there's also that you can release something early on that's interest that's useful enough for people to get a foothold in. Mm-hmm. Like okay, you know maybe you only release the first five percent of it, but this five you get the right five percent or something close to the right five percent that people can find that in itself useful. And sometimes it's hard to partition it and find that piece. And some you know and and I think that's going to be the struggle here is to find the five percent that's going to be useful enough that people say okay well. 
it, it's it, it, you don't want people going. Well, that'd be really cool if you could do it, but uh, you know, talk to us in ten years when you're done, if ever. Yeah. You yeah. don't want that. Um, but I, I think um, I think even in a worst worst case, if nobody on the planet liked it, nobody. I would find it very useful for myself. It would make me very productive doing things. Well, that is it's that's all you need. I mean, isn't it? That's great because then you're mass, yeah. helping yourself. It would it would massively accelerate things that I want to do. It's a very powerful tool for what I want to do, and so it, 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 that would uh, yeah that will, it will work in that regard in that regard. So I'm excited just to use it myself. Um, so what's the so launch yeah, date? I, I, I'll probably be like uh, midnight, <laughs> New Year's Eve. <laughs> okay, so, so we're expecting it to launch on the 1st of January, 2010. The 1st of January, I guess. So, yeah. So I'll try, I'm going to try and get it out, you know, before, the day before if I can. What I'm going to try and do, and I'll, what I'll probably do is I'll open it up to... You've got 15 days. Yeah. Well, let's get pretty close now. It's getting pretty close. What I'm going to do is is open it up to. I'll probably have some, you know, few dozen people I know who are who would be good beta testers and be willing to put, it, you know, give their two cents. Then I'll open it up to some. So you're not going to open stuff. up to the listeners of texting. No, I will one. open up some listeners of texting. Maybe we'll we'll you know give like you know some number of beta codes or something like that or. Okay, so maybe we'll like give out the give give out an email address. Well, if they just sent a podcast at texting dot com, yeah, Text, something like that. Podcast at texting live dot com. I'm sure we'll do at least one podcast before that, and yeah. uh, we'll come up with something so people want to want to do it. I, I mean, I've I've had a couple of people who, who beta tested for me in the past, and this one guy, um, his name's Arnolf. He's the CTO of Central Desktop. Yeah, and I'm friends with the Arnolf and. Um, Isaac were the, the two co-founders, and it was by far the best beta test. I mean, he literally—it was like he had a stream of conscience, like a uh, journal of his experience trying to use it. Like he would write a sentence. Well, I tried to log in. This happened. Then I logged in here. I'm, I'm looking at these things. I'm finding this confusing. But I found this. That was cool. <laughs> that you know, I was like, wow. <laughs> you get that on usertesting.com. Really? Yeah. You you can pay for people to do that. Yeah. That, so that was. I'm just like usertesting.com. That's interesting. So that was, um, so you know, I, I want to get the the right people to do it because I could I could email a bunch of my friends, but most of them, if they don't have a use for it, it's not going to help at all. Yeah, they're not going to they're going to poke around on it for five minutes. Go, oh, kind of cool. You know, what, I don't quite get it or whatever. It's just you 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 really wanted to aim for people who might actually need to use it. Well, and it's kind yeah. of interesting. I have a I have a couple things to say on that line. Do you, what do you want to say? I was just going to say this. But for TweetMiner, there's only one of my friends who's been able to to use it, uh, Tyler, who who gets some use out of it. But um, pretty much everyone else who uses it is is not someone who I know. It's just they're they're obviously the people who find the use for it, and they're the right kind of people to be using it. But they're not my buddies. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it's it's rare. <laughs> it's probably rare they can be able to find something like that. They find a, a bunch of your friends are going to use. I mean, I only have a few friends that actually write code, and most of them don't even write web stuff you know so i don't so it, should should i use your product as much as you use mine you should probably use it less <laughs> <laughs> well i don't tw- i don't use twitter so it's, it's hard for me to use tweetminer when i don't use twitter okay well look i'll i'll do you a deal if you start using tweetminer i'll start using your product when you release it i have to find a reason to use twitter though i can't well one reason is to promote your product 
I guess so. I guess so. I just, uh, I got to get into the Twitter thing, I guess. I mean, I just have to figure, I have to get myself motivated <laughs> to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it a, just, it's, a, it's, it's certainly one way of keeping in touch with people who are using your product. Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, if I had, like I said, if I have a reason for it, if that, if it works to that end, to that end, then I, I guess it'd be worth it. But no, I'm just, just, I'm just guilt tripping you. You don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. You don't have to use Twitter. But I would, I, I do, I would like to play around with uh, Tweetmire a little bit and just to see more what you've done. So, I, you know, I had a couple uh, interesting thing. I, there was a um, thing I talked about. Uh, uh, let's see what, what was it was called. Um, how to bring a product to market? A very rare interview with Sean Ellis it was on Venture Hacks. Right. And um, it's interesting. He was talking about how to bring a product to market, and uh, he, one of the things he said was, "I'm trying. I'm trying to remember, but how it went. But he's like, you want to do a survey of your users. Essentially, what you want to do is find a, a market fit. Like, do you have market fit? And he had a survey. I think it was, um, oh, it's like on Kiss Metrics had it, and it was. Oh, oh I'll put a, I'll put a link onto it on our on a write up. Okay. But you, you would do a survey to all your users, and so one of the questions was something like, if you were no longer able to use this product, how, how disappointed would you be? Not at all, not up, we don't use it, not very much, you know, uh, you know kind of, or very much. And, and if so, what, what, would be you, what would you use? And if you can get um, 40% of your users to the point where they would be very disappointed, you got market fit. Like that's mm. kind of, and then you can really scale it. Right. And let's see if I can find it. I was, um, yeah, it was called uh, survey.io. And um, if I can bring up the question, he goes, um, yeah, how would you feel if you could no longer use, you know, this application? Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, not disappointed. It really isn't that useful or I no longer, or not applicable, I no longer use this app. And they have a bunch of questions that go through, and, and basically it's sort of like trying to get a, a good understanding of how your application, how to, how to sort of, w whether your application has market fit and whether you're at the stage where you can start to scale it with marketing and other product development So are they stuff. making the product survey.io? Survey.io, that's made by Kissmetrics, but I guess they, I think they made the survey in conjunction with Sean Ellis. Like Sean Ellis has some company, it's like 12 and 6 or 24 and 12 or something like that. And I guess he's specialized. He's worked with like Dropbox and Zenobi and... I'll tell you one product that, that is ripe for the picking, which is the product that really keeps track of um, the features that, that users want. Because user voice and get satisfaction, neither of them work in my, in my view. Okay. Neither of them are nailing that problem on the head. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I think user voice is a little bit better at getting the sort of the live feedback about what people want. But I just think that there's room for a, a better tool that, that you can plug into your site to just, and it's just focused on nothing else other than finding out what feature. It's not about support or anything else like that. It's just right. focusing on that one small problem. How do I rank and rate what features people want for, want me to build? And nobody nobody's doing that? Yeah, uh, user voice is doing it, and they're doing it better than um, that particular part they're doing better than um get satisfaction get satisfaction in my opinion do everything else better all the other support stuff but neither of them really nail it on the head just for some kind of live system that's really uh current and happening right now and you can see exactly what the users want and you push the question to the users in the right way
Right. Well, do you use, but you use Get Satisfaction, you don't use user voice, right? I use Get Satisfaction, I used user voice for a bit, and I got better feedback from user voice about what, about people submitting ideas, but I still did, didn't get what I was looking for. I'm sort of thinking I'm going to need to just build it into TweetMiner itself. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You actually build your own stuff? Come on now. Justin. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. That well, I have hey, to... <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to alert the not invented here police. <laughs> Because they're just leaving my house now. Well, it's <laughs> just go pay Justin a visit. <laughs> they just gave me the shakedown. <laughs> well, they just don't do it right. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. See, now how's it feel, right? You don't like how something works. You want to build it yourself, and people give you crap about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, but but don't get me wrong. I would much rather have a tool that just was right. Yeah, well, you know, I look, I, I'm with you, man. If if something doesn't work the way you want, if you can't find something that works the way you want it, build it yourself. Screw it, especially if it's not that hard. Which, guess what? Building something like that would not be very hard. Yeah, you know, um, and especially if you're just going to build it into your product. You know, it's like, it's like I remember, uh, you know, Flickr had their own sort of forums built into it. They didn't use something like, you know, BBPHP or one of these open source crappy, you know, forum yeah. packets. They built their own and it was elegant. It was very simple, very elegant, totally integrated into sort of the Flickr motif and experience. And that was part of what made Flickr work. It was because they wrote that. And, you know, writing, I've written my own forum software and it took me like, you know, days. It was not very hard. I built it in. Uh, I ended up not really using it. But, you know, it's like when you do that stuff and you can kind of custom build stuff like that, it, it's, it really can help, especially if it's not that hard to do. Hey, did I tell you that um, I've started using a framework for one of my clients? No, which one? Code Igniter. Yeah, how do you like? I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I like it. It's, um, I, I much prefer it to symphony cake ruby on rails type thing because it's it's a lot more open um mm-hmm. it's it, it's definitely a framework and it's a framework that is kind of similar to, to frameworks that i've written in the past but it's it's got a lot of stuff built in and I, it's pretty good i'm impressed i'd recommend it what made you decide to use that as opposed to it wasn't my doing? choice i would have <laughs> i would have stuck with my own framework but the client insisted <laughs> because basically right. um the client sort of wanted it to wanted his site to be developed in a framework that other people would be familiar with yeah um, well, that makes sense yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah did uh, now would you consider using that instead of your framework going for if you were doing your own project um maybe i'm i'm 50% of the way there Right. What are the shortcomings compared to, like, your in your view, compared to your framework? Um, I think the shortcomings are that with my own framework, I know every little component of it. So right. when I want to when I want to optimize it, I know exactly which piece of code to look at. When I want to do something that is universally applicable for every action within their framework. I, I need to sort of go away and research it and really understand how to how to get it in there. But the other thing is the very fact of it being an external framework and them needing to make it work for different people under different scenarios, they have to write a whole bunch of unnecessary code. Even though their framework is the lightest framework, they still have to write unnecessary code and hooks and things like that. So that their you know, their code is doing things like testing for hooks, testing for extra libraries. And if you write your own framework, 
you it's just the most streamlined you can make you know the most optimized yeah well that's that's kind of how i felt when i told you i had to build my own object relational mapper for right. the secret project right yeah and uh, it was funny. So I was talking to my, my brother, Jay, and we were, I was talking about that. And he's like, well, why don't you use X or why don't you use Y? And he was like, well, why, you know, why don't you use Hibernate? I'm like, well, you know, I don't really know the Java framework. I mean, I've written Java code, but I haven't done the whole spring struts and whatever, you know, that whole layer cake of, of, uh, of frameworks and pieces. So I don't know the Java world. You know, I, every time I've looked at it, it just was like a swamp of XML configurations and yeah. crap. I just like, I don't, I, I have no interest in that. And I said to me, you know, writing web apps is so easy and PHP is so easy and I can just slap that stuff together. Not a problem. Why would I want to make this, you know, all this PHP stuff? I mean, this Java stuff. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, because Hibernate, he really thought Hibernate was world-class software. It was great. And he's like, but yeah, if you don't, if you have no experience in that job world and you don't want to, you don't want to spend the, the, the months getting familiar with it, then yeah. Well, the point. environment's kind of tricky with Java. The PHP environment's tricky, but it's not, it's not that tricky. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty quick, but with Java, there's a lot of finicky stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he he's recently been doing some uh, working in the PHP world. They've been they've been doing a lot of stuff with Drupal, and he said, yeah, he, he they they went and had a hard look at a bunch of the um, the ORMs in the PHP world, PHP world, and he's like, yeah, they all sucked. And I said, see, I told you, you know, I looked at them all myself. As every single one, you know, had problems significant enough to prevent me from using it. You know, it wasn't well, like I just. To say, well, I'm not going to use any of them just because I went and, and, and read through pages and pages of documentation and downloaded source and tried to compile some get stuff working. And I just say, ah, it's just not. A, a buddy of mine built a, a yearbook site in the UK uh, based on Drupal. And mm -hmm. he, he chose Drupal because it was, the, it was a really fast framework and it had a lot of stuff, all the CRUD stuff built in. And he built it out and got his, got his site working and launched. Two years later, he's he just was like, oh my god, I cannot bear this, and he rewrote everything from the ground up, and just because it was so difficult to for him to create real custom stuff, you know, and opt once again all the optimization stuff, the custom stuff, so difficult. So he wrote wrote a framework from the ground up. Yeah, I you know that's that's the thing. I mean, I think if you're if you don't have a lot of time. Right, and you're and you're writing something that's kind of vanilla, or kind of simple, or it's just for a client, and they're not willing to pay a lot of money, or you know, this is your tenth project that you're working on, and you just got to get something up. Then frameworks are fine for that, right? It's like you know, it's like just we'll get something up, and it'll work, and it's not going to be super efficient, or it's not going to be super customized, and you know, I wouldn't want to run with this for you know years, but for something you know that that's basic or vanilla, and something that's even not it doesn't have to be super vanilla, well, but and it's fine, but I mean, if you're going to say, okay, look, I'm going to build something that's going to be really, that I'm going to spend a lot of time on. There's a lot of custom things I want to do with this. I really want to enjoy the experience. I really want to be able to do exactly what I want to do. Then it's like frameworks a lot of times, you just, they don't really work very well for that. I think Drupal would be different to something like CodeIgniter though, because, because Drupal is specifying how you do things, whereas CodeIgniter mm -hmm. doesn't. CodeIgniter is just a framework that ties together some nice libraries but mm -hmm. but real basic stuff. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't, for example, give you user registration pattern. Yeah. But whereas Drupal, it it has a already existing user registration API. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that there, there's, there's sort of different levels of, um, within the gradient of building from, you know, your own to having something pre-built. You can, you can go from very low to very high as it were. Drupal's pretty high up there. Yeah. I, well, I think so. I mean, especially things like Drupal, I don't know much about Drupal and, and, and like I said, my brother Jay was telling me he was pretty impressed with how powerful it was and the things you could do with it. He, he, they, they were, he coming into the PHP world had a pretty, was kind of had his, you know, didn't have a very high opinion of the PHP world or the PHP. You can do a lot with Drupal if you do it their way. Yeah. Well, that's what he said. He's like, yeah, he's like, but you know, he's like, Drupal is really impressed. We do a lot of stuff. He's like, we're using it. And, uh, and, uh, he's pretty impressed with it. But I think Drupal, I mean, I'm speaking from, you know, kind of ignorance because I ha- I'm not a Drupal user, but I think just in generality, that's like, if you, if you're going to work, if what you're, if what you want to do falls well within the um, domain of what the framework's meant for, you're great. You know, if you wanted to use a basic blog or anything like it, then WordPress is great. If you're trying to build something else and you use WordPress, it's going to be painful, you know? And the same thing, if you want a content management, if you're creating a, a website that's, you know, a, con- a content management system to work for, then Drupal's probably great. If you're trying to build, you know, um, I, I don't know, TweetMiner, you wouldn't use Drupal, right? <laughs> well, you're you're tied into, the, as far as I can see, I mean, once again, I, I'm not very studied on this, but my, my basic reading shows me that everything is based around the concept of a node so they have this this concept of a node. So like uh, a, a place in the hierarchy is a node, an article is a node, uh, a blog post is a node, and then you list you list your nodes <laughs> to list a right. bunch of blog posts. So you kind of have to work with that viewpoint when, right. when working with them, which to me is quite sort of tight, you know, quite pinned down to looking at at development in a certain kind of a way, you know. Like if I was yeah. building TweetMiner, I wouldn't want to think of everything in nodes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's like it's like the more the more something does for you for you, essentially, the more you have to bend to their will. The less that they're do for you, then the the less that you have to do things your way. It's just yeah. sort of like that's just sort of the trade off, you know. It's and um, yeah, if you if you're doing something that falls in the domain of it and you're like, Hey, I, I, there's nothing that I want to do that really isn't built within the, the realm of this framework. Then, and I'll do things how they want me to do things. And it'll be really easy sailing, you know, smooth sailing. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was funny that, he, you know, he was like, Jay was, you know, very uh, unimpressed with the, uh, the orms that were out there for PHP, which was exactly what my conclusion was to after doing my research on it. That's why I had to build my own. One final thing about CodeIgniter that I want to say. Um, It's not that CodeIgniter particularly makes life much faster for me. What's good about it is is that it's easy for me to migrate my existing libraries into CodeIgniter. So I'm really just swapping my framework for their framework, and I'm bringing all my session handling stuff, my user stuff. I'm bringing that over, and it's not very difficult to do that because they don't tie me down. So that's why CodeIgniter for me is good and fast. It's not because they offer me a really fast way of building user registration system is because it's pretty easy for me to just move mine into theirs. Right, right. So something like Codeigniter would probably better for somebody who either is, a, is an experienced developer, you've got a lot of your own code, you can do a lot of it yourself, 
you know, but if it's somebody who's kind of a kind of new or either, like I say, either doesn't have a lot of time, they don't want to have to write much, or they don't have a lot of experience and, and will have difficulty writing a lot of the stuff themselves, then you don't use Code Igniter. Use something that does a lot for you. Yeah, I mean, but Code Igniter is also good for newbies because, once again, because it doesn't pin you down too much, like something like Symphony, where you really have to learn their way, or Drupal, where you have to learn their way. Like, you know, I think that would be better for somebody who's learning PHP for like just a few months and they're still trying to figure out how I don't know, because then you're not really learning PHP, you're learning Symphony. But then they kind of, it's kind of like that whole, you know, Ruby on Rails thing, you know, it's like Rails, right? You're just kind of, they're, it's like training wheels, right? You're moving along, they're kind of like, here's a view, and this is a controller, and this is a model, and this is, you well, know. Well, I mean, I always say that anyone, if you haven't written a framework, you should, because it's only by right. It's, if you haven't written a database abstraction library, you should. If you haven't written a framework, you should. If you haven't written a file, like something that loads in files, you should. Because it's only by understanding those basics that you then can sit back and actually use other people's libraries in a sensible way. Right. That's right. my opinion. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's switch, uh, let's switch gears. I got, I got some other things I think would be fun to talk about. Um, one was uh, there was a... Uh, there was a uh, blog post by um, our friend Jason Cohen, uh, a smart bear. He wrote yep. his his uh, article was "Don't write a business plan," <laughs> and uh, basically saying that the essence of it. Which people should read the article. It's it's not that long, and it's it's like most of his stuff, uh, most of Jason's stuff is really good, um, and I think he's right. Which is that when you're trying to do a startup, web startup, or anything kind of like this you don't really know much and everything that you think you know is probably wrong and you, the only way you're going to really find out how you're wrong how wrong you are is is getting out maybe building something simple minimal viable product kind of thing get it out there get in front of users they all tell you it's stupid and it sucks but if it did there's other things they'd pay for it whatever right and the whole thing that you 37 signals that I've always said which is which I think is mostly right which is like look you know we don't make big decisions we don't make plans years in advance or months in advance we just look the next step or two ahead we just just try and get the next step then we'll know more and at that point we make the decision you know we want to use as much information as we can and um, he basically says that, and he basically says a lot of things along those lines that you know all this time you spend writing a formal business plan that's you know really in depth your marketing plan your operations and all the budgets and your projections it's just you know you're pulling out of your ass most stuff just pulling your ass the, well, VC, the investors know it you know back it going to going back to Zuckerberg from the reports I hear he had Facebook planned out like something up to three to four years in advance the strategies the way that it was going to move it was all about building big plans up up ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I I read a book, and I found that I I, I kind of retweet is a few retweets I did. I tw I sort of did a, a tweet to him, an app tweet. Is that what you call them? Directly, yeah. I don't know what the hell those things are called. And it's a book that I had read about four or five years ago called "The Origin Evolution of New Businesses" by Amard by B H I D E, and it was it's like two business school professors from University of Chicago and two from Harvard, I think, did this uh, in-depth analysis where they looked at hundreds of what they would call sort of um, revolutionary ventures. I mean, you know, startups, not like, you know, hair salons and laundromats, thing, you know, uh, small things, but, you know, things that are, are attempting to be, uh, you know, major, major startups. And it turned out they found zero correlation between the companies, but half of the companies that were successful wrote had business plans and half of them didn't. There was no predictive correlation, predictive 
information and whether you do a, a, a business plan or not. And which, you know, I think some people, um, obviously, if you're going to go try and raise money from uh, investors, they're going to probably want something, maybe not a 50-page business plan, maybe a few pages of, of, of basic numbers. I mean, different right. Companies, and I also I think I think he talked I think Jason talks about in that article even about how a lot of VCs just said, look, if you write a business plan, it's just going to hurt you because none of them are going to read it, and by the time they know that by the time they finish reading it, you're going to have reworked it anyway, <laughs> so it's yeah. just going to slow you down. And so I, the best thing is keep something really kind of small, you know, and, and small and light. And well, it, I think it just sort of goes along with everything we we keep on saying, which is uh, release early, release often. Release early, release often, get as much information as you can, real information, not hypothetical information, information from people who actually would are paying for it, not people who who are beta users as much. I mean, you have to discount beta users who aren't paying because they're not really the same people as the people who are actually paying for it, those kinds of things. But uh, it's, all a, it's, it's all about you know, agility and, 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 and maximizing the information you have and making the, the decisions based on the, that information. And you know, for writing a business plan, I think there are some people – it's in their nature to want to write things down. They think better when they write things down. Yeah. Like they just, they just need to sit down and get all their ideas out. And if they want to write five or 10 pages and they want to kind of write out these ideas and do some graphs and some numbers, then fine, you know, do it, do whatever you need to do. It makes you feel like you're thinking through what it is and convincing yourself that you want to do it. Um, for me, I tried to write a business plan for, uh, um, when I started, for actually the company I initially started to, that ended up doing Prezo, and I was completely on a different thing, a different idea. Um, and I spent, a, oh God, I don't remember, like a couple months working on a business plan, and it was just the most painful waste of time of my life. I will never do that again. You know, I hated it. It's just, it's not me. I just like, I knew exactly what I, uh, my ideas. I know what I want to do. I know the plan as much as I can know it, and I just want to just do it. I don't want to talk. I want to write. You know, I want to spend time editing sentences and paragraphs and go, well, this paragraph would go here and I should make this sentence. <laughs> it so has nothing to do with making the thing or making the product a reality. Yeah. So anyway, I thought he was, I, I thought it was a great article. I totally agree with it. I, you know, and then I said this in this book that I had read, they'd done the research, the, the research sort of bored out. There was no statistical um, advantage to um, doing a business plan or not. So that was cool, that, that article. Um, I've I got a quick thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, I was just, just, as you were saying that, browsing the tweet minor stats, not that I wasn't listening to you, but they would just happen to be in front of me. Sure, and yeah, I right. <laughs> I know you don't listen to anything I say anyway. <laughs> and I just noticed something. Um, on average, uh, at the moment, that well, there's, there's 2,100 registered users. Okay. And on average of those, about 130 sign in a day. So you could say that daily there's um, the active user rate is 130. Now here's yeah. here's something that's kind of an, a, an interesting and quite cool stat. There's 65 customers on Tweetminer, which is 3.1% of the overall registered user base. But when you okay. compare it of the active user base, that's actually 50%. Right. Which 50 is kind of cool. Active users. Yeah. Well, what okay. I'm saying is 50% of the active users are customers. What does that mean? I don't, I'm not sure if I can think of anything. Well, what it means is it's good. <laughs> it's good that the people who are using it, half of them are paying for it. Well, given that we said that the usual conversion ratio is 1%. 1 1.6. 1 1.6. 1 
if you look at it against active users, a, a conversion ratio of 50% is pretty outrageous. Okay, let me think about this. So the people who actually... Well, I'm not sure those numbers are quite the same because you're talking about after the fact, the people who have already logged in who are using it. Uh, well, I guess it's interesting. So when they say 2.6% or 1.6% and whatever, are those, are those people who have logged in and created an and actually turned converted paying user? Or are they talking about people who use it actively and then actually are paying versus are actually paying I don't know. users? I don't know, but I'm just saying These that... are two different things. Just because I sign up for an account, I poke around for 10 minutes one night, and then I never use it again. I mean, my account is, is one of those people that they're measuring the, the 1% against. I feel silly like for saying this now because essentially I'm just boasting. <laughs> so let's not talk about well, it anymore. I, mean, let's I, move on to something I, I don't know. I, I just... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just think they're different numbers. Okay. I think that if you said, if you looked at um, the amount of people who are paying versus the amount of people who, what about the number of, how many registered accounts do you have? Well, uh, 2,100. So basically there's 3.1% conversion ratio of the entire registered base. I think that's a number that they mean when they talk about that. Yeah. that, that one, I think that's not what you're still doing fantastically well. Yeah. I think that's still great. All right. And I, yeah, brag. That's fine. That's good. Okay. I mean, Sorry. look, man. If you could back it up and ain't bragging, that's my I'd always just say. Right? Hey, listen, I don't want to talk about them. What, what were you saying? What were you, what were you just bringing up? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. I had a couple other things that were probably um, the uh, – I got about a list of things. I'm just going through my list. The importance of abandon, abandoning crap. <laughs> that was a great article. Abandoning from, crap. It's from the uh, – the putting uh, – PutThingsOff.com, <laughs> the importance of abandoning crap <laughs> is another hacker news thing. Okay. And I have just been, I am really going to aggressively over the next six months attempt to scale back my involvement in a lot of things. Because I just feel so stressed and distracted because there's just three or four things that I want to focus on and everything else is just, it's just, uh, it just distra- it detracts from that. Right. It just keeps me from doing as good a job as I can. And then what happens is it makes me feel bad because I can only do so good of a job when I'm, when I'm overbooked. And then I don't like feeling bad. I don't like making excuses. Like, oh, I'll try and get to this or, you know, and just feeling guilty. It's like, there's only so much I can do. Right. And, and so, and so now I'm kind of on this mission. Like I am going to hack and slice all these things. I got a list of about four or five things that I'm just going to axe out of my life. And, you know, because I think it's, I think it's hard for people, at least it's hard for me to, to say no to things. Say, Oh, Jason, can you, you know, can you be on the home or the board of the homeowners station or can you, you know, update <laughs> this website for the soccer league or can you, you know, be coached the AYSO team? Yeah. The AYSO soccer team for the kids. Yes. Yes. I'll do that. I'll do this. So I do everything right. I always say yes to everything. Well, guess what? You know, I kind of like, you know, you want to be a good, good guy, a good person, right? You want to help out and do your part. And Did you watch Yes be- Man? Yes Man? Yeah. No, what's With Jim that? Carrey, you should watch it. Is that it's, essentially it, what he? It's about a guy who say, who, who's always no, 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 no. He says no, 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 no. And then one right. day he just decides, you know what? I'm just going to say yes to everything. Right. And it's just how his life takes off because he says yes to everything. He just finds himself in all these situations. And he, whatever anyone asks him, he always says yes. That's his rule. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, okay, let's talk about that for a minute, right? Saying yes means you get involved in stuff. When you get involved in stuff, you have new experiences. You probably meet new people. You probably learn things, right? So those yeah. are all positive things, right? So let's take the example 
of say uh, one of the things I did recently, which was I coached my kids' soccer team. Right? I mean, I could easily have just been like all the other parents and just showed up to the the games and watched my kid and let somebody else deal with it. Right? But but it was an interesting experience. So I have to say, you know, the coach the kids is fun. Um, you know, obviously coaching my own kid is fun. Um, yeah, I definitely had experiences I wouldn't have had. You know, I, I got to know all the parents. I became friends with a lot of the parents because I was the coach. I wasn't just some other random guy standing on the sideline. Um, but, you know, it, it took up time, right? And so when you say yes to all these things, you got to understand, you have to admit to yourself that, well, those are hours that I'm taking away from these other things. So I'm not, I'm going to do, not be able to do as good a job on this other stuff or not do other stuff at all, you know? And that's the problem. It's just, it's like, it's, you, we don't have an infinite amount of resources. There's only so much time and energy you have in a day. And you, in a lot of times, you know, you, you start to think of yourself, oh, I can do, you know, all this stuff. Like, I, I start feeling like I can do anything, right? I got enough time of the day, you know, I mean, if I wake up early and I have some coffee and I'm just, I'm, I'm motivated, I'll knock all this stuff out. But, you know, this just, you're human. And at the end of the day, you start burning out, you start slowing down, and, you, and there's things that just don't get done. Do you drink coffee? And I do. I thought I you didn't drink. do any, any, uh, anything like that. I any don't stimulants. drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs and that kind of stuff. Um, but coffee you'll do. I do coffee. I, I do. I do one cup in the morning. My wife, Sandy, got me addicted about ten years ago. <laughs> I'd never had coffee. I was about. 30. I get a headache if I don't drink coffee. Well, now I do. I'm addicted like everybody else. Uh, but now, I, but you know, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't drink it throughout the day. I don't think I have like eight cups or something. I have one cup after breakfast, and uh, you know. But I'm kind of a lightweight. I have like a. I have a, a chocolate, and I have like a what they call poor man's mocha. Oh right. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, that helps me go on. So anyway, I just think I just think it's like the idea of just kind of being able to get extricate myself from some of these responsibilities that don't add a lot of value to my life but take up a lot of my time. Then I can just really focus and do a much better job on, the, on these things that I do find important. And I don't have to have this nagging sense of like I'm constantly not doing as good a job as I could be or I'm letting people down or I'm not getting things done on time, which I hate that feeling. Right? Yeah things hanging overhead constantly you know when you're in college or high school or whatever and it's like you constantly have a term paper due and you're like oh i got like three papers due and i got this project due and it's like you can never get away from it it's always hanging over your head <laughs> i feel like way every weekend it's like all i'm doing it's like all you know i want to work on my secret project right <laughs> yeah that is what you I should be working time, on but i got all these stupid things i gotta work on i got too many client projects i got too much crap so, um, the one, one project that I'm working on, the, the, uh, the trading, I'm sorry, I came out there, but the, the trading software project. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I spend four hours a day and, and, uh, we may bump that up. Hey, they, they've said, Hey, look, if you want to spend more time, they're great. And I've been sort of resisting, I was seriously hesitating because I have some other projects that I, first of all, I need to, I need to finish them up. I can't just like leave them unfinished. So that's obviously not an option, but I'm also as a, as a consultant, you kind of want to have more than one source of income. You want to have yeah. like three or four because you never know what could happen, right? They could call me up, you know, a month from now and go, Oh, you know what, Jason, you know what? We've changed direction. We pulled funding or, you know, and then you're screwed. You know, it's like being fired from a job. You're, yeah. You're, laid off you're screwed but if you have three or four or five clients you're like well okay oh, you know i can i can allocate more time to these other clients and um just i to try and hustle up you know yet another but the problem is that when you have more than one or two clients at one time you get three or four or five i for 
for one, find extremely difficult switching context two or three yeah, or four times. Yeah, agreed. I, I totally agree. I, I don't – I'm not so uh, – I don't know if I agree with that idea of having lots and lots of clients if you're just an, an individual guy like yourself or myself. I mean, I've found working for one or two clients the best personally just because yeah. you get to know them, you you get into a way of doing things, and once again, you don't have to context switch so much. So you can just context switch between your own projects and their projects, and that's it. Well, you're right. I mean, it's – you. It, I find um, two projects is great because it allows it allows me to um, to have a little variety – yeah, but any more than two or three, and it becomes stressful for me. Yeah, but I like the diversification of um, of risk. You know, I, I like knowing that. Do you class I, texting as a project? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I understand the question. What What are you asking? Do you class this podcast as as one of the real projects? I could. I'm not thinking of that as a project, but I could. But yeah, I mean, if you include this, I got a lot. Right. I got. I got. I have one. To three paying clients, I have Local Bacon, I have Prezo, which is still hanging around, I have the secret project that I'm working on that I spent a lot of time on, I have this podcast. Those are the, and then I have things that have nothing to do with writing code, like, you know, coaching my, I have a men's soccer team, which I play for and I coach, I coach, you know, I've been coaching my kids' soccer team, I've just recently organized a, another soccer thing for, my, for a bunch of these kids, you know, I'm on that board, homeowner association board, I don't know, there's other stuff I'm probably forgetting about, but it's too much. Okay, let's focus on texting a little bit. Let's okay. talk about the future of texting and the fact that we're coming up to the end of the year, I'm not sure we're going to get another one in before the end of the year. We really? may we may do. We may do. We can get one in. Come on. What do you what Well, I've because I've got my sister coming over from London and uh, okay. we're we're basically she's going to be here until the 4th of January. Oh. Okay. Um but we I think we could try and fit one in maybe late next week kind of around Christmas time. But just okay. I'm just saying just in case we don't fit another one in. Okay. Let's talk about the future of texting and also say to our listeners, you know, Sorry that we couldn't get one in. Happy New Year. <laughs> You're doing a uh, just in case. Okay, yeah, exactly. Just in case. We'll try and get one in. But uh, but uh, what, what do you think the future of texting is, in your opinion? Well, I, I'm i enjoying it. I think it's fun. We, we've gotten yeah. better at um, – we've gotten pretty efficient, I think, at it. Yeah, right. we just call each other up and, and get it done. Like there, there's a lot less meta communication about it now. We spent a lot of time initially talking about the podcast and what it could be and what we wanted to do and what was the best way to do X, Y, and Z. And eventually we just pretty much figured out what we we're going to do. <laughs> Which is right? just call each other up and have a chat and then put it out right. there. Right. Yeah, we just gonna we just, just kind of just figured out what we we're going to do and we just did it. And we just spent a lot of time talking about it because we had too much other stuff to do. And we just spent a lot of time preparing. And I guess you've gotten pretty good at, at cranking out the uh, production, right? The post-production stuff. It doesn't take you too much time for that. Yeah, not too much time. I mean, yeah. the, the only thing that we don't do is we don't market it. We don't act, we don't sort of actively market it and tell people to listen to it. And I, I think one thing that would be great would be if our listeners could like tell a few people, look, in this coming year, check out <laughs> check out Texing. If you guys could tell like two people each, then that would be great. Yeah, I don't think anyone's gonna. I don't. I don't think that works. You don't <laughs> it sounds think so? like it sounds like you're listening to NPR, like This American Life. Yeah, uh, the guy Ira Glass is there. He's always talking, asking people to, you know, come on. You know, you have to, you know, donate some money, and you know, we're, you know, we're desperate for 
cash and stuff like that. And I don't know. I don't know if that works very well. Maybe it does. The nag. Well, we're we're not really doing it for for the cash. We're not, do, we're not, we're doing not really cash. doing it for the for the lots of listeners. But I mean, I would like to go above five hundred. <laughs> yeah, we're about the three fifty, three twenty. Yeah. Well, no, with with the Jessica. I mean, when we have a guest on, we normally get higher. Like the Jessica Mar one got around five hundred. Um, and then some of the superstars, like the AI War, that had maybe two thousand two hundred people listen to that one. The big one was the database, the Cassandra data. Oh yeah, Cassandra, yeah, Cassandra database. database. We, that was posted on um, high scalability, and that that group found that episode particularly interesting. Yeah. But what happens is is that we get we interview people, and who have have either high profile or very are are of interest to a very specific group. And that specific group will listen to that one episode and maybe some small fraction of them will stick around and say, Hey, I kind of, this other stuff looks kind of interesting to me. But like, yeah. if your only interest is in high is in say key value databases and you and you log in uh, and you download the episode on Cassandra and you're not interested in just startups and other web tech and other stuff like that in general. And you're like, ah, it's really, I don't care. Yeah. Right. So, I, but I think, I think the, the, I, I like doing both. I like interviewing people because it gives us a chance we meet people, yeah. which is interesting. I've, I've, I really enjoyed meeting all the people we talk, Jason Cohen and Peldy and, uh, you know, I mean, all these guys, Eric and the guy, AI War. I'm sorry, what was the guy um, from, he did AI War? I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, Park, wasn't it? Christopher Park? Chris Park. Chris Park. Yeah. yeah, Chris Park. And then we also, don't forget, we had Sam from the very first one. Sam and, uh, yeah, and he was doing... Um, the sequel, uh, what was it, Query Cell? Yeah. And Chris Jessica Ma recently, and uh, you interviewed the, um, what was her name from, runs at Xbox? Uh, Corinne Yu. Corinne Yu. Hey, this is cool. We're like running through what we've done for the year. Yeah, so who else are we talking about? This is great. Um, we and also Eric had... Eric um, from Bitly. Yep, Eric from Bitly, Eric Woodward. We also had... Um, Eric Woodward. Just learning through here, looking through here, sorry. I think um, it's everybody. So what do you, the, you, what about you have me at Erlang? Yeah, and Joel Ramont. Yeah. Ramont. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all these people are really interesting. We, I, you know, we, I definitely learned some stuff by, by talking. I love the show notes for the first three episodes. <laughs> that took me, like, hours <laughs> to do. That's why I said that's, this is not sustainable. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> See, that's the problem. I'm kind of a perfectionist, and so if I'm going to do something, I want to do it right, and... And then the problem is that this is scale. So you have to, that's why I have to pick and choose what I do because otherwise I just really want to do it. Or if I don't do a good job, it just kills me. I hate it and I get really upset, really stressed about it. Yeah. So like you said, do show notes. So I write like an hour, page and a half. It took me like three hours, wasted my whole Saturday morning. I'm like, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care what Google thinks of it. I don't know how much Google juice you get from it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So can I make yeah, But so I I don't know about you, but I like the interviews. But I really enjoy us just talking about just uh, shooting the shit, basically. That's right. I I find these the most fun. I find it I find it interesting, and I find it interesting and somewhat fun interviewing people. But I don't like the interview format as much as I like just us talking. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the other thing is maybe when we bring people on, we could just try and bring it to something more like this more of a chatty thing but yeah. we are kind of when, when you're talking to someone interesting you it's difficult to do that because you just want to interview them and find out what they've got to say 
All right, we have a million questions for him. So it's like, well, why we're going to pretend like I'm just gonna, not going to ask these questions I want to ask you? I mean, I'm naturally going to want to ask those questions. Yeah. I think. I mean, the only thing is that you brought people back you've already had on and you sort of know their story. Yeah. And then you just have them talk about other stuff, which, which we did once with Jason and Peldy, right? Yeah. Jason Cohen and Peldy, which was um, interesting. So, I mean, we can, we can do that on occasion, I think. But um, I don't know. I think that's the best way to do things because I think if we bring – the interview shows help us spike our numbers. I think we helps us bring new users to the, they yeah. give us a chance. They come yeah. in and they listen because of a specific reason and some small percentage of them are like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll subscribe to this. Not so bad. Not so bad. It's not that painful. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, if we don't interview people, we don't, I think it's really hard to grow the show numbers. I mean, it'd be nice to get our numbers up, you know, up over 500 or up over a thousand or a couple thousand or whatever. But, I mean, you know, it took us, what, six months to get to 300 and 350. Something. But actually, we hit that number about 10 shows ago, 12 shows. We've been kind of hovering here for yeah. a while. We, we, we've been going for like seven months now. Yeah, well, we got 20, this is our 27th show, so that's a bit, quite a bit. So, all right, well, let's not get too meta on. People are going to get too, uh, I don't know how interesting that is. But yeah, I think next year, um, yeah, we just, yeah, I just keep going. Just more of the same. Fun. I enjoy it. Well, I enjoy it. I mean, I like, I like, I love having these talks. I, I always interested to hear about the progress of Tweet Miner. Um, yeah. So I look forward to our talks. In fact, that's why a lot of times, like, I don't, I, I would normally say, you know, call you or see what's going on, but I'm like, I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to call you because then we're just going to waste content. We would have interesting conversation that we that we can't, we're not having the show because I already asked you these really interesting questions. I'll tell you what's kind of cool is that we've, we're pretty much cataloging what we're doing, and it'll be especially great when you get your secret project out, because we'll be cataloging the development of that project. And if if all things go according to plan, you know, two years down the line, we actually turn a business into a success, there will essentially be a catalog of that process in in this show, you know, so people will be able to go back and listen to, oh, well, that, that was where they were at this point in time, that was where they were in this point in time, and these were the decisions they made, and these were the reasons why they made those decisions, etc. Right, right. Yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to, re- to release the Seer Project for a lot of reasons. It'll be fun to, to, um, to talk about. It'll be fun to have people using it. It'll probably be a little, <laughs> it'll be a little stressful, too. You know, you get it out there, and people start banging on it and complaining about it, and critiquing are you going to use get satisfaction i don't know i don't know if i'll do that right away or not i haven't really looked at that closely right why do you recommend it oh yeah definitely so i mean some kind of system like that yeah well what i'm going to do initially is i mean it's going to be a private beta first right so i'll probably have some kind of just private messaging system so people can come back and tell me what's going on and once it opens up and i make it public then then maybe i'll use something like it i've got a good private messaging system for you Email. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Email is probably the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Just do something like that. Um, yeah. And so I mean, that, that's the thing is like, I don't know how long the private beta will uh, last. I mean, I, I don't, I want to try and make it as quick as possible. I don't want to use that as another excuse not to release it sort of like a pseudo release, right? You go to private beta and you never get out of it because that's what happens to a lot of companies, right? They do private beta for like years. They never, and they just, then it dies. Okay. Uh, tweet mine. had private beta for 34 days. I uh, know for yeah about thirty days. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking a month would be my target. Yeah, 
I think a month is a reasonable time because there's there's going to be a handful of things going to be really broken that people are going to probably go this just you know you got to fix these things right and then there's going to be a handful of things that it just has to do that doesn't do at all right that people everybody's going to complain that it needs to have and so they're going to need at least a month for that kind of stuff right yeah um are you going to go so, straight for charging after that then. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try and go, I'm going to try and make that cycle as quick as possible. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be painful because, you know, it's what I'm building is not a, it's not a simple, it's not simple software. So it's not, it's not obvious. Um, well, let's just add, and I think it's going to be tricky to find that uh, core feature set that I can charge for early, but I will right. try and get to there as quickly as I can. Um, and I want to stay on the core feature set. I don't want to get, I don't want to get sidetracked by some feature that I'm not interested in working on for too long a time. Because oh, here's the interesting thing. I want, to, I want to talk about this, right? So w- there was an article on it called, um, I think it was on Venture Hacks. It was called, Sometimes the Feature is the Product. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's interesting, right? Because a lot of times there'll be just some core piece of it that you, you think the product is X, or at least you think what people care about or what you want to work on is X. But everybody really they there's this really subset that's really that's well, all that's anyway. where um jason cohen's smart bear software yeah Code I think collaborator. You, have, you probably have and there's a million examples of that you know i think um flickr right was yeah. a feature in uh life game never ending or something well, twitter. and there's twitter well twitter was a side project right it wasn't it was never a piece of audio oh i guess it was a side project yeah but yeah I mean, the, 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 that was nevertheless it was a it's a it happens all the time, and that's why it's pointing to get something out there. And um, now, but I, one thing that's interesting about that is like you got to make sure that your product that you want to work on is is finished enough, or at least you give it enough a shot that people can decide whether they want or not. Because if you if you don't even get close to releasing what it is that you want to work on and people, people say, Hey, nobody cares about that. They care about this little feature subset, but if there was a little more of it finished and working, people might care about it. Right. Maybe. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but I think that's what we want. That's what we want to think. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all, it's all kind of a, um, I think it's all, it's all, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of subjectivity to it, but and you don't want to say something. Well, if I just worked on this for another year, then everybody would see the light, you know? <laughs> yeah. Then everybody would understand that what I'm building is awesome, and whereas everybody's just going to use this one thing because everything else is stupid and sucks, and they just found this one thing that actually is kind of useful and they're willing to use, and maybe even a few people pay for. But I guess what um, you know, this whole point of early release is that you want to just throw something out there that gives people enough. To, to sink their teeth into and, and try and find the value. And what was kind of interesting about that survey.io that, that um, you know, discovering the market fit and whether you have something is that, you, you know, when you have people decide, like, what percentage of the people are at that point where they just, they'd be really disappointed if the, pro, if, the, if the service went away. Well, when they describe what it is they want, if everybody describes something different about the product, you're, you're not, you're kind of in trouble. Right, like you want people to be, they they like it for the same reason that there's a there's a reason why everybody is using yeah. this. That's one thing they said. That that was kind of interesting, which which is a lot of the case oftentimes when you use statistics and numbers because that hides a lot of infor- contextual information. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, that'll that'll be uh, that'll be. Uh, 
it'll be exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get it out there. I kind of just want to get over with, you know, get it out there and get over with and, and suffer and, and go through that suffering. <laughs> you know, yeah. you get it out there, you get a lot of like, you get over the, the, the ho-hums and the, well, it doesn't do X, Y, and Z. And you get over sort of the embarrassment that it's not what you want it to be. And then you just kind of just keep pushing. But at least you're out there, right? Yep. Hopefully. I mean, how are you feeling about TweetMiner now? Um, honestly, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit depressed about the um, the growth because it, although I've got lots of examples of growth being exactly like what TweetMiner looks like. I mean, if you look like if you look at YouTube or you look at Twitter or you look at any of these guys' growth chart, it's always just very slow, steady growth for a couple of years, and then it's like goes up. Right. Um, it's never launch and then go stratospheric in two months. Yeah. Um, but it's just essentially a hard graph to just keep on going, walk up that slow hill. That That's not very steep hill. You're right. Walk up it and just keep, you know, stick at it and don't do anything silly and, and grow to a point where you reach critical mass. And essentially that just requires hard work and it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and i guess that's that's where i'm feeling i'm feeling like oh i've just got to pull my sleeves up get stuck in and get, get through this boring patch for another yeah, it's like year I gotta, you, you gotta you gotta work like everybody else yeah right? exactly. there's no free lunch there's no you know it's no overnight successes you're gonna have to bear down and grind it out and do customer support and promote it and fix bugs and refactor code and do all the crap that it takes to make it something successful. Well, and it's that's just why. What, but I mean, for example, Hootsuite, you know, has so many more users than Tweetminer, and and they're they're not well, you know, they're not million miles apart. And it's just, I guess, it's just because they just have a lot more money, and it's much easier for them to scale. Um, right. But and it's because it's so completely bootstrapped and tiny and one man company that it it really is just a drop in a drop in a pond, and that's why it's going to take time to get it out there. Yeah, but you know you're all you're one guy too, so you know you can be a tenth of successful. And what are they? You said how many people do they have? Ten or? I, well, I, I'm I don't know exactly, but I hear they've got a decent sized team, like five to ten kind of thing. Right. I mean, so you you don't have to be nearly successful with them, and you, and you would still be financial. It'd be a financial success for you. That's very true. And I don't think you necessarily have to compare your success to their success. I think you just have to compare it. I think the only thing that's important at least in terms of financially, is comparing it to the amount of hours that you put into it, maybe at the end of a year, and the amount of revenue you've gotten from it or you received from it. So you can say, okay, well, how, what, was, what was my hourly return on this, right? Because yeah. you're, you're essentially weighing that against hours you would have spent consulting. Yeah. And if it continues to go up and, and eventually get to the point where it's going to surpass that consulting rate, then you're, you're in great shape. I don't see how it can't continue to go up because if people are subscribing to monthly plans, obviously there's going to be a composite effect as the months roll on. Right. Because there'll be 10 right. people subscribing first month, 20 people subscribing second month, etc. Right. Right. And the part of it too is that, you know, it's all about managing expectations. You know, it's like when someone says, oh, this movie is one of the best movies I've ever seen or, you know, and then you go see it and it was just a, it was a solid good movie, but then you're kind of like, ah, you know, it's kind of a downer, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't the best movie you've ever, you've ever seen or even close. But they've ruined the, the movies are kind of ruined for you. And that happens that happens all the time. And it's like if you you don't want to get you know, it's easy to get really excited and be like, Oh, this tweet miner is gonna be huge and all that stuff, but you 
trying to try and prevent yourself to think too much like that because yeah. if it's any falls anything short of that, then you're all bummed out. Like, oh, it's going to take years and hard work. Well, you knew that realistically going in. Yeah. That's what it takes. Everyone will tell you that's what it takes. Hey, let me ask you another question about uh, about something that's going on with Tweet Miner. Okay. Rackspace um, have this very strange error called no suitable nodes, and um, it just happens randomly. It happens for random users. And what happens is when a web request goes to their server, to the cluster on the Rackspace cloud, for whatever reason, it returns an error, just an HTML page saying no suitable nodes can be found. Right. And um, it's just a completely random error. And if you if you delete your cookies, it goes away temporarily, right. and then it may come back another couple of days later. Right. So what it does is it causes the application to crash because an AJAX request goes in and it returns no suitable nodes error for people maybe twice a week, the average right. user. What do I do? I mean, I've, I've contacted Rackspace. They, they don't really acknowledge the problem. They don't, they don't want to know anything about it. They just say it's, it's the script or whatever. I mean, do, do I just sit around and watch customers leave? I mean, people have literally said, I'm not using TweetMiner anymore because it crashes. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you maybe look for a different hosting option. I mean, I mean, what else? If they're not going to respond to it, then you only have the only other option is that you find another managed, you know, managed server solution yeah. or buy your own servers and manage them yourself. Very strange. Right? I mean, it's kind of sucks, but I mean, how I many how have you you really gone through the the processes with them of trying to well, I've, I've mentioned, I mean, I've, I've certainly been onto their support a lot about it. Uh, and now I've just sent them like this, a last uh, ticket saying, look, if, if this isn't sorted by January 1st, I'm going to really make us think about this and I'm going to leave. But I, I think this is happening to other people as well. I don't think this is just happening to me. I just think so this that is on, it's, you're, you're using the cloud sites. I think it's just really, it's a really hidden issue. I bet you if you looked well, in your logs, you'd see this. Now, this is a cloud sites yeah. offering. Cloud. Yeah. Now I know the local. I know that Joe moved local bacon over to cloud server. Got a cloud server solution. Maybe that's I better. I don't know if it was even any more expensive. It just just allowed a little more control, like you know um, SSH uh, access and some other things. You could do more configuration stuff. So you might want to look into something like that. Maybe get off the cloud sites. Try cloud server. Okay. I mean that'd be worth checking out. Aside from completely moving off. That's of good Rackspace. advice. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I think I think I haven't noticed any difference in in you know speed like it's slower or anything and uh, seems to be fine. I, I've never noticed that nodes that things crashing. I mean, um, the, there was a period back in August where, um, and I think even in September where Rackspace had a couple of days of, of real difficulty with some real problems. Yeah, but other than that. Uh, other than that, uh, it's been good. It's been solid. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, we should probably call this a show. Yeah. We're, it's we're been over. it's been a long one. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, since there's a chance we may not do another show before the end of the year, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's kind of count for one and a half. So, um, all right. Well, that's a wrap. We're out. 